The Good Podcast is brought to you by The Good Meals, healthy, ethical and sustainable ready meals delivered straight to your door. No need to sacrifice your health or values when pushed for time or there's nothing in the fridge. Head to thegoodmeals.co, that's thegoodmeals.co and select from the growing number of delicious dishes and have them delivered straight to your door. Zero fuss. The Good Meals are free of nasties and preservatives, no bullshit, just the good stuff. This episode is brought to you by Holistic Performance Nutrition. If you're looking to further your nutrition study, start a new career, or just learn some cool shit, then HBN is the course for you. HBN offers a range of options for your nutrition study, from foundations of nutrition science, right through to full training courses to become a holistic and performance nutrition coach, or holistic and performance nutritionist. Also, short courses in ketogenic nutrition science, the business of health practice, and functional mycology, and much, much more. Head to holisticperformancenutrition.com and enter GOOD into the coupon code to receive 10% off your course fee. G'day, welcome back to The Good Podcast. Today I talked to Jackson Johnson. What a great name, he's destined for good things with a name like that. Top guy, honest, transparent, a uh, very successful trainer, both on the ground and online uh, up on the sunny coast. Uh, we talk about all manner of things growing up, his trials and tribulations as a, as a teen, getting into a bit of biff, uh, and how he reconciled that and how he grew as an individual. Uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast with Jackson Johnson. Good to see you, mate. Thank awesome. you for having me in awesome. your home. I think we've got right. enough gear set up here. We got all uh, the we got all the microphones. Plan, plan A, Plan B. We got all the videos, <laughs> and we were just talking earlier about um, on the last episode we did about not making mistakes. We're not we're not the most guru no, tech guys. Not at all. So I think I think we've, we've covered our backs. Sure, one one more microphone, <laughs> yeah. mate. Um, you know, we've just done a podcast. You've just yeah. interviewed me, so yeah, yeah. It's actually a real. Um, Real pleasure. Like you, you ask some interesting questions, actually questions that I like that you delve into the the childhood stuff because that often forms um, who we are as an adult. Um, so maybe we'll start somewhere yeah. similar. Yeah. Um, what was your childhood like? All right. So if anyone who's listening, my name's Jackson Johnson. Um, it's like no one's listening, mate. Just it's, a few, it's my podcast. Just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's but my um, mom. yeah, just, just my mum. <laughs> yeah. I was born in a small country town, uh, just uh, north, uh, southeast Queensland, just north of where we are here on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, the closest thing that people will really know to it is uh, Noosa. Right. Um, so it's kind of like the scrubby little town that no one knows about um, an hour above Noosa. But it's also the town that's the town that saved Queensland, they say in stories, because that's where all the gold was found when Queensland right. was uh, first settled. And, you know, these are the cool, weird, wacky things I learned by living there, because that's all we kind of have, all the old things that were good. Yeah, that's what you're... You're hanging, You're hanging on, on to, on to yeah. yeah, yeah. There's not much super great going on there anymore. What, what's and, um, it called? Uh, Gimpy. Gimpy. Even Sorry. the name doesn't sound that. Gimpy. Yeah, um. yeah. But I was born there. Um, I was born into a, a very kind of strange situation where um, I was not so much planned. Uh, my father was kind of struggling with his uh, alcoholism when I was first born. Mum was struggling with dealing between wanting to have a father figure around us. My sister's a year and a half older than me, so she was already in the picture. 
and there was enough struggle already and then I came up came through and they were like here we go we're going for a ride and um you know I didn't I don't remember being one and two but mum said there was times where I was around my father when he was just you know he's usually usually a really funny nice guy um and that's what my mum loved about him previously and uh I always think when I'm speaking about him on the podcast, like imagine if he's listening and I have nothing, I have nothing that I haven't yeah. already, um, you know, mentioned to his mum, his mum, my grandma and him, himself and nothing that he's already hasn't heard before. But basically at the time, you know, he was really using alcohol to keep himself together and he was in his, his, his addiction. And back then it was quite normal. You yeah. know, we're talking about the early nineties and it was quite normal to go to the pub and have, you know, six or seven beers and then drive home after or whatnot. And, Mum would mention to me, even a few years ago, talking about it, that it wasn't when he was drunk that usually was the problem. Sometimes he would kind of like knock us over when he was drunk, like not anything bad, but just be not, you know, you've got to be more safe around your kids. You've got two kids yourself. But it was more when he wasn't drunk. The issues you have when you're grumpy and mood swings and... Mum's quite a quite a verbal person, and she tries to stand her ground. She's a strong woman, and it's one of the you know my role models in my life. One of the top women. I think she'll be woman of the year one day. She's incredible. So she decided it. I think when I was three or four or something that she was going to take us away from that situation because she didn't want that role model to be in. You know, she goes, "We might struggle without having a man there, your father, but you're better off without it because that's not a good person. You are your environment." Yeah. So. We were removed from that situation. You know, I think we slept between the car and my mum's house for a bit until we found her feet. And um, I was so young. It didn't, you know, I can't say that it, it, it I can't say. So you like, actually slept in the car? I think yeah, so. There times. was probably times that we would, you know, couches at friends and yeah. stuff like that. But quickly, mum's a hard worker. Quickly, we found somewhere small to kind of like get a, a, head, a roof over our head. Yeah. And get back to normal life. And then it was basically the journey of realizing that, you know, I'm born into a struggling small town type of family where mum's working two jobs. And the the interview that I had on my podcast that we spoke about just before, when you were saying you grew up around pubs, I didn't say anything then because I was so excited to talk about it on this episode. And it's like my mum worked at a pub pretty much my whole like you know, yeah, younger right. years. And um, she worked kind of two jobs. And when we couldn't get um, daycare and get cared for we were I'd be at the pub when I was a young kid just at the not in the normal area like you know you were really involved in everything I was more at the back kind of waiting area just yeah. playing on the little you know sketch pads yeah. and whatever yeah, if right. there was phones back then I don't know but just playing around like a little kid but I was around I was around some violence and drunk people and um, you know again like you were saying before in the last podcast that it was kind of good because we never got too obsessed with alcohol to the point where, because we kind of knew, like it wasn't, mum would say to me at a young age, like I would, I'd see her um, smoking cigarettes or I'd see people smoking cigarettes and I'd try to steal one and smoke it because when you're really young and then she would like, okay, she'd find me or find out I did it and she's like, okay, smoke the whole cigarette in front of me and then I'd yeah, be coughing right. and she'd just teach me a lesson like, yeah. you can do what you want to do. Like rubbing your face in it. There's a yeah. pain in it. Um, so yeah, before I force, fast forward too much, I'm just, the most things I remember is we never really had much items. We never really had anything nice. I remember, remember being very young in, in, in preschool and primary school and I had like oversized shoes because mum's like, you'll fit into them, you know. One um, day, son. One day. And then I'm like, well, they get so wrecked. I might as well just buy the size that fits. <laughs> but um, anyway, I was a growing young boy and I had some anger issues from not from not really having a father figure around. And I just remember being at school and people having nice things and me not having nice things. And I remember always one thing I really am thankful for is uh, 
I always had super healthy food in my lunch boxes, yeah, right. you know, no, no, no roll ups, no, you know what roll ups are, yeah, no roll ups, no like the, the fruit, things. yeah, the fruit, well, they're yeah. not really fruit, but yeah, the yeah, sugar, yeah. the sugar rolls or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just remember just, you know, I had quality food, but I'd get paid out on cause it was like, you know, salads and vegetables yeah. and stuff. When you're young, that's not cool. You got nothing to swap for anything. No, you, you want to, at that age, you want to conform. You want to be like Jimmy over there who's got yeah. roll ups. And yeah, stuff, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I was kind of like, oh, poor me and kind of anger issues and whatnot. But, um, how, how did that manifest? Well, like getting into scrapes and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like as in like fights and, um, what, in your in at school or late yeah teens yes or? as soon as I could remember I played uh, mum got me into sports like uh, you you in, in England the football mm. uh, we call it soccer here yeah um, makes more sense to call it football because yeah. it's with your foot but yeah. yeah we called it soccer where I grew up and um, that was kind of a sport mum would allow me to do and we she would just scrape in the fees to be able to pay to play and I would I want to play every position there was because I was an overachiever I had this little shaved head just energy ball. I had ADD growing up and I um, struggled with staying still and when I got told to stay still for too long I would throw rubber, I'd throw rubbers into the fans or th- you know spitballs at the teachers and I'd always be in trouble doing something but I was usually were pretty... Were we ever medicated? Like pres- uh, diagnosed and prescribed like Ritalin or something? Great question. Um, they tried to and mum was just like I think we should look at the food you're eating and the quality yeah, right. of food and that was at the stage where mum hadn't studied her stu- started her studies for being a uh, herbalist yet and started about NLP and the nutrition. She yeah. was... She worked between you know, different jobs, whatever, to get by. And um, then she also did some fitness competitions herself when I was really yeah. young. So um, as well as being around some environments that weren't so good, mum said that when I was at the age of like just learning to walk, I'm walking around the gym with her while she's getting ready for a competition. Yeah, like, right. you know, back then you could just have your kids walk around the gym yeah. floor like dogs, like puppies. Yeah. And um, so I was around some cool things. And I, I, that's probably why I, like, I went into bodybuilding and fitness competitions at a young age because I was around that and I looked up to my mum and whatnot. So there were some good things. But yeah, got into fights in... Um, you know, some little, not so much, it's hard to really get in a fight in primary school. You don't really know what's going on. It's just yeah. getting involved in the things you shouldn't, getting angry. And remember just my, most of my problems in, in the end of primary school and the start of high school was being angry at teachers and being angry at sitting in class for an hour, sitting down, uncomfortable mm. seat. Like even back then I knew that wasn't the right way to learn. Yeah. And it definitely not, not everyone, not everyone should learn on the exact same way. Some people no. can sit still and it's do crazy. that. So... Yeah, we, it kind of gets to the age where moving into becoming, you know, living with, you know, growing up with ADD and I even had some problems with asthma when I was young, but I just was so, was so like, um, I remember, remember sleeping on a machine when I was very young and then I ended up being a top, um, you know, top performer in athletics and whatnot. I was just a go-getter. I was kind of, I was kind of good at everything, but not great at anything. Right. Um, so I went through that and then, you know, got to the point where I could really, I thought I could really understand that I didn't really have a father growing up, so I wasn't disciplined in certain ways and then disciplined other ways. So I would kind of, if I was ever scared in a situation, I would just create anger out of ego. Mm. So like if there was an altercation with someone, then I would just be like, I would sit back and sit back and then I would just blank out and it would be fighting and whatever would go on. And I had that happen a fair bit. And then um, that led me to getting involved into uh, boxing. So I went in that. Uh, when in, was there any recourse for the fights that you had? Like, were you ever arrested or? Did yeah. You ever, did you ever get caught? I got suspended from school. Yeah. Um, I stabbed a kid when I was in like Jesus. first eight or year. Not a knife. I had a pen. 
it was an older kid. He just kept picking on me, picking on me, picking on me. And I just broke. Like I just yeah. physically and mentally blanked out and broke. And I like, tried to stab him in the face with the arm. There was an arm. He was taller than me in the arm or something with a pen. I remember getting sick. I'm, I'm constantly making mental notes now just to keep on your good side. <laughs> yeah, be careful. <laughs> it's funny. I'm now like the person that's like so relaxed yeah. and nothing yeah, really I, bothers I, me. Um, yeah, I had probably from the age of 17 to early 20s similar type of reaction to mm. stressful situations that I would be poked and poked and poked and at some point I would just you know um, you're usually the nice and fun guy and you probably had a lot of attention around you you're a good looking guy so the attention was like oh you you know you're friendly nice well, it and normally came through the you know I, I moved um, from Bedford that we talked about in your podcast to a fairly sleepy small seaside town at, a, at 16 so by that time everyone's in their cliques right and who's this yeah. new guy with who's the cool this guy with look? blonde hair and now he's yeah. going out with uh, the popular girl popular girl so yeah I, I copped a lot of shit and so and at that age I, at 16 I I didn't I hadn't uh, developed this aggression but I quickly did so mm. by the time I was 18 yeah I was I was ready to defend myself yeah. and to the point where it escalated that I was getting into, and I can probably defend my position for getting into those scrapes, each and every one of them, yeah. maybe not all of them, but it, get to, it got to the point where people would come to town looking for you, it sounds yeah. like the Wild West, but, yeah, yeah, and they yeah. didn't even know what I looked like no, or who no. I was, but they, they just know the knew name, the name, heard of you. so I would tap them on the shoulder, I'd get the heads up that Joe Blow was, yeah, yeah. who Joe Blow was in the crowd, and you go and tap them on the shoulder and say... You're looking for Scott Gooding, and they go, yeah, yeah. And so you get in, get in first, because otherwise you get hit in the back of the head. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you, went, I, you went from this introvert personality <laughs> to being like, well, you either hit or yeah. you either hit or, or be hit, hit. and yeah. that's what it was like. And it would have been even worse for, you know, that era when you were going through that age and that um, that bed for the still. It's still the UK. It's still like yeah. it's very scrappy soccer, oh, yeah. like football, you yeah. know, and um, boozy. Yeah, boozy and just like ego men, you know, ego yeah. men, the women, they think that we, we think at that age that yeah. we have to be tough for the women to think we're attractive even. And then we don't want to let the boys down. Yeah. So we're like, oh, if someone... There's a lot going on as a, as a, I mean, it's the same, same to be said for Australian guys too, but yeah, there is, a, there is a, there is an attitude in, certainly in England, if you walk into a pub in England... It's different. Yeah. I'm sure there are pubs in Australia. Oh. I haven't come across many, but you walk into pretty much any pub in England, you know, all the guys check each the other out. The local guy, the main local yeah. guys, like, and who's so this other like, new you know, guy? Yeah. This is my place. And, you know, yeah. you puff your chest out and you hope that nothing happens. But um, anyway, I, I left, once I got off the plane here, I, I left that side of my personality it's funny that you say that because as soon as I removed myself from the small country town called Gimpy, yeah, and the way he spelled is Jim Pie, um, <laughs> as soon as I, I removed myself from that small country town and I moved just an hour south to the Sunshine Coast here, not once I think I've been in a, a serious yeah. altercation that led me to being locked up or anything. Yeah, It's like my small town, similar to that Bedford, like small town, everyone kind of knows everyone, so you kind of, you're going to end up running to the person that that you to date the chick that you date or yeah. your friend had an altercation with someone else's friend so because they're in that group yeah. you've got to fight that guy yeah. like it's gang mentality yeah. and it's just men growing up 
Yeah, it's almost a, a rite of passage, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think you learn some stuff through it. I feel sorry for the guys that are growing up that are in their 16, 17s right now at this stage because it's uh, carry a weapon or get my friend who's who my uncle's friend's brother's in the bike is. It's very right. like, it's less... They're more scrawny guys that aren't working on the farm anymore and not doing as much labor stuff, and instead they're wearing the Adidas bag and got a knife on them. And like it's, you would see it. And they got sit- knives on them. A lot of them do, man, yeah, because right. they're so scared. Because it's gangs. You're not you're not worrying about one person beating you in a right. fist fight now. You're worried about people kicking you on the train station right. and beating you up and taking whatever you have and take wearing these uh. TNs, these Nike TNs that these gangster Eshes and stuff wear. And I'm obviously, this is not everyone, but it's a struggle for kids around this age. And I've seen a lot of videos online lately of people getting gang bashed and taking their shoes because they want them shoes. And, right. you know, and the mentality of it's hard to get, it's 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 harder now these days to find like a casual job. I, I, you know, at the age of 15 or 16, mum's like, that's it. I can't afford to pay for what you want. I know you want these nice things. So how about you can come out to the bean farm and pick beans? remember sitting my back arched over and picking beans for ages and ages. And you know what? Some of those days I would go through just so much time to think that it would freak me out. I was in my head so much. But you'd pick beans for five or six hours early in the morning before it gets hot. You know how warm it is up here in Queensland. And then um, you'd get there. You'd have to weigh all your own beans. So it wasn't hourly. You, you get paid for what you actually pick. And then the person beside you is just pick double you and get paid more than you. You, you finally finish the day. You wait up around lunchtime and you go home and you make take 50 bucks home and right. you just work for five or six hours and we think about the beans or they keep them right. you can probably get a bunch of beans for free or whatever if you want to but by then you're sick of seeing beans you yeah, don't want any beans right. and my mum always had beans from the farm up the road anyway so I just didn't even want to see another bean and then I worked on an avocado farm so I'd clean up the avocado trees and then for the harvesting and I remember just that taught me so much about hard work I was like this is what I don't want to do and what can I use mentally that can get me like how can I work smarter not harder but it was a process and I worked at McDonald's and stuff and I think a lot of these kids now that's like it's they don't even want to they don't even want to get close to working on a farm or working at uh, McDonald's because they don't want to look uncool and they're like oh well this kid's 16 he's a professional Call of Duty player on Xbox and he's getting paid a million dollars he's got like an Audi for his first car so yeah they want to go from school to success everyone's comparing yeah Um, so I really I really this is you've come from a world of comparison though right with the fitness comp stuff huge like the modelling and you know skip forward a bit we'll kind of skip the era of like my addiction to alcohol and drugs and whatnot. no Um, that's not Let's not. <laughs> no. We got to the point where I was, I tried um, marijuana, weed. I hate the word marijuana. It sounds like a crazy drug, but uh, you know, the plant marijuana, but I was smoking it with tobacco. I tried that when I was about 14 mm. because it was this, I wanted to escape my life, my home life. We didn't even have internet. You know, that sounds funny for people that are older, but anyone my age, everyone had like, this is even post dial up. Everyone had some type of internet at home and they had some of, had a talk on, you know, MSN and, you know, I don't know if that was in your area, but era, but like, you know, people who listen to this will know around my age, like MSN is where you talk to girls and, you know, it was before phones were around, you could just talk and discuss. Uh, It's like like a chat. It's like having messenger now. Like back then I didn't have messenger. I didn't have MSN. I had to go to my friend's house and they'd have the internet. I'm like, Oh, show me. It was this thing I couldn't have. So at any point I could, I would escape the farmhouse because mum was on a little farm then. I hated it. Now when I go back there, I love it, but I hated it, hated it, hated it. 
I hated even having to move chicken pens and go feed the cows and I barely even help out with mum. Like I was a pretty bad kid and that's why I do so much. That's why I go see her every week. That's why I give back so much now because I know how much she sacrificed for me. But back then I was like, fuck this, fuck this. Like, yeah. Um, you know, we're struggling because we don't have a father and I sometimes blame mum. Like, why, you know, why aren't you still with dad? And she's like trying to explain to me that this is not the right role model. And then I'd have stepdads and uh, mum would have, you know, long-term boyfriends and I'd get really angry at them. You're not my father, breaking shit on them, throwing stuff at them. I was just an angry kid. But, um, so when I found out that, you know, like you could take something and um, I didn't really get into any other drugs until, you know, early 20s but like um smoking weed as like you know just something different and then as soon as i found alcohol i was like i had all this confidence and when i was drinking alcohol i'd meet new people and when i was around alcohol i'd meet new girls and i was confident to talk to girls even coming from you know uh insecure and i never want anyone to know where i lived or how much we earn or anything because we're so poor so alcohol was a way where everyone's on the same playing field everyone's just here to have drinks and we'd meet at a big field out in the middle of nowhere like you were saying in the last podcast like the girlfriend you were dating, her and her friends would go drink on a paddock yeah, somewhere. Yeah. That's what it was like. We'd have house parties. You know, at the age of sixteen, I'm drinking six UDLs and then blanking out and vomiting at the back of some <laughs> shed. And you know what? Classy. Just I'm just looking I'm just looking for an escape. And at the time it's also a social aspect. FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't want to miss this party. Yeah. What if I had the chance to talk to this chick that I thought was cool? And uh, well, I was always I won't get invited next time. Exactly, and substance, and then being around violence at a young age. Then I was always fearful of these guys that were bigger and older, and just I was a really small, scrawny kid. You know what I mean? That's why I got so into bodybuilding because it was like to put this, you know, get this, yeah. this armor. muscle on this yeah. armor. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then it's been taking time to break all the armor down. But uh, that era was was kind of strange. Like I realized that every time. I even got into, you know, I got into boxing for a bit, which is really good. Taught myself how to defend myself. And because I had such, I was punching holes in the walls when I was at home, when I was young and trying to fight teachers, like such a bad kid at times. And then when I got into boxing, I learned so much because I learned how to defend myself, which means I have to do, I'm not so insecure and I wouldn't be so angry around people. Um, and then I would, um, we would, I'd get good enough where I was actually doing sparring with actual boxers, like guys that were like, been doing it for a while bigger people and i would learn that like you can't pick fights with big people because you know weight makes a difference it doesn't matter how angry and think tough i am like you're going to get snotted in the nose so i learned to respect um martial arts and fighting and it it gave me an escape it also took my anger out on something i could punch the bag and then i was very like sensible and relaxed um and that was really great and i did a little bit of um weight training around the boxing and i actually found that when I was just boxing, people still wanted to fight me all the time because I was skinny and scrawny because I was trying to make the weight classes to fight competitively. Um, and then they wanted to test me. Like, oh, I've heard you do boxing. Well, I'm a street fighter or whatever. And I would get tested by people and like, you know... What, out, out in the street? Out in the street. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah out, out in the street. The Never had any problems in at gyms. Everyone yeah. was super nice, very respectful. It was always around women. When women were around, the guys would fluff up like you were saying. <laughs> fluff and, up. You know, and I ended up getting in fights with some guys that were a bit older than me and then fights that, you know, I'm just it's not impossible to win, but my ego just wants to stand up for myself. And a lot of times defending friends. And then throughout that, it got to the point where I realized the more that I did weight training and put more muscle on, I'd have less problems with people, even though people don't realize this, but like just doing weights doesn't really make you better at a martial arts. No. Like not at all. Like you see a lot of guys are just full of, you know, full of water or they call yeah, it yeah. like clouds and they can't really fight properly. But 
it actually people are so visual it's a, it's a psychological thing it's psychological yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's not the size of the what's that saying it's, it's not it's the size, size of the, of the dog. dog it's the dog and the, the yeah. fight and the fight in the dog yeah. yeah not the size of the dog it's the size of the fight in the dog or something like that something like that yeah my mum used to say this to me before I'd have my boxing fights uh, you know sparring and have my actual fight I remember breaking my nose in my first boxing fight I won the fight but I got hit with like an illegal blow with the bottom of the glove yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, this is all real stuff here. We're not just sparring. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Everyone's hitting each other to knock that, each that other hurt, out. That hurt, mate. Fucking yeah, I was like, back well, up. Well, it was the first hit. It was like he threw out like a light jab and miss and then just put the right hand through with his glove like that. And it just rocked me. And then my nose is bleeding. I couldn't breathe out of it, so I'm mouth breathing. And then finished that round, kind of just got my stuff together. And then my coach is like Vaseline me. He's like, we're not going to do this, but we'll just get you cleaned up. And then he's like, get back out there. You know you're skillful. And like, well, go back out there. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> what's going on? Well, I wanted to go back out because I was like, every, my whole family's here. Like if it was only, it was funny. It was three one-minute rounds. And I thought I was at the UFC World Championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was there. There's like 15 felt, people in the crowd. Yeah, there is. They're like, yeah. It was in a place called Lowood, like, whoop whoop like really like inland from Brisbane just like the show country just some country ass hit. yeah yeah it was nothing not getting paid anything yeah. the guy it was my first fight and the guy already had a few fights he lied about or whatnot, but he wasn't like a big guy or whatever and um, the next two rounds I like, got my shit together and I gave him a good beating for the for him getting that big hit on me but yeah. then at the end I get a photo I look worse than him even though you know we got headgear on as well but it was just funny I learned a lot it was good I didn't really I decided after that I didn't want to be a pro boxer because I'm like I'm going to get punched drunk again my mum's advice maybe not too many of those Yeah. but then I got into like fitness and, and um, doing weights and whatever and in between that I got to the age of you know I did the boxing when I was so you were fine you were sort of compelled to do the weights because um, you were finding you were getting less sort of well that's the thing pods and pro pokes it, because of the size of you you know i wanted i always wanted to have a better physique and i realized that just boxing is probably not going to put much size on me because you're always trying to get better at yeah cardio and whatnot like you've been into like cardio sports and you've yeah. done a lot of that stuff so i just enjoyed both i wanted to be better at both i'm like i get a bit more strength and whatnot and then i realized there wasn't much money in boxing unless i was like you know proper legit and even australia we're way behind in that stuff yeah. you know so I moved, like I, I wanted to become a personal trainer and stuff like that. But I was at that kind of that strange age between eighteen and nineteen, and I fell into this quite rut. And I nearly ended up, you know, I got locked up a few times and getting involved in, um, started getting involved in other drugs like right. MDMA, yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of the MDMA we we thought we were getting MDMA back then, but it's full of like, you know, I've been told now from people that I knew back then, like, I think we actually were getting stuff that was cut with ice. Right. and uh, speed and stuff and then back that was back when Jack 3D the pre-workout was out you ever heard of that? No. It's this really strong pre-workout that's got this thing called 1.3 dimethylene in it and right. it's actually a one strain different to speed it's been right. banned now yeah, right. but you could just buy it from the supplement store Right. I would take that and I would take other drugs and I'd be drinking and it was just gang fights punching people like always never ever started a fight never started a fight it was yeah. like someone just like Bigger than me, older than me. They were like, I was being a hothead. I'm walking around confident, talking to beautiful. But you weren't the instigator. You were the. No, no, I wasn't trying to start fights. It just, it was, it was really, it just created a lot of anger. Boxer thinks he's, you know, did a few days of weights, you know, and then you know, some you win, some you lose. One time, I got my whole uh, jawbone collapsed in and um, nearly got knocked out. And um, that was bad. That was guy was a very big guy, much older. Just you know, defending my friend. Actually, he my friend got knocked out first, and then I came over and trying to grab people off people off and hitting people with chairs. And some, my uncle was the security that night, and he's like, I had to delete the footage, otherwise you would have gotten in a lot of trouble. Really? 
But I was just trying to get to my friend. I wouldn't have got that much trouble because I was trying to get to him. But then eventually the big guy came out and I'm trying to box him and he just hits me like really hard. And from then on, I'm like skated. And then for weeks, I'm like doing, going to the police station. They're asking me if I want to put a charge in. I'm like, no, no, no. And that was kind of, that was a turning point. That was like a turning point where I was like, what's, what's, where do I go after this? Like, is it, you know, go after this guy, more fights, more violence, stay around in this town. You know, I got my cheekbone crushed in. I'm, my face looks like absolute shit and I've always wanted to inspire, I've always been inspired to get in good shape and, you know, maybe do some shoots or whatever. I always went, I was a high achiever. Mm. I was like, I'm done. You know, I started selling drugs at the time because I had no, you know, I didn't want to work at McDonald's and stuff. And that was kind of like the turning point for me. I was like, you know, am I going to sell drugs and go out, take half of them, drink all the time? And that's when I found like, the thing, the only thing that stopped me from moving towards that more was like, training in the gym on a daily basis and knowing how much worse I felt when I was hungover trying to train or when I was coming down yeah, from drugs right. and the shift of becoming one become a personal trainer that shift was like okay I've got a journey that I'm passionate about I was already kind of personal training friends and stuff at that time without a certificate it was a small country town mm-hmm. and then I was like oh I could I could do my college course and you know get better at that but that led to to that age and um, I'm I start you know, doing a course at a, at a town, you know, I started doing my fitness college course down here on the Sunshine Coast. So I was driving back and forth from the little country town I was living in. Get to know the area a little bit. It's really beautiful. I there's an ocean here, you know. We yeah. didn't have no ocean in that country town. Yeah. There's an ocean here. People seem nice. I'm not looking over my shoulder every five minutes when I'm driving and walking around. I'm not, my ego is not so high. Like I got, And that was even back then before I really understood ego. It's got a good vibe from it. And I suppose that's similar to when you moved from the UK over to Australia. Oh, like yeah. It was like you could just let go of that past person you yeah. were. And that past person you were was really to defend yourself a lot. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, there's not the level of aggression, widespread aggression and attitude in Australia, I found. And I remember this defining moment. I was in a pub in Surrey Hills. I think it was the Surrey Hills Hotel on the corner there. Or no, the Cleveland Hotel, one of them. Sydney. Sydney. Walk- in Sydney, yeah. So I was walking through the pub around the pool table area to get to a set of stairs to go up to the up, upstairs bar. And there was a guy, probably pissed, yeah. and he was standing deliberately sort of obscuring my path. And so I had like a second to make a decision whether I go up to him, full of ego, which I would have done 90 time, 99 yeah. times out of 100 yeah. back in the UK. I'd probably been here a year and it was the first sort of thing that had cropped up so I had, an, I had a second to make the decision to stand off to, to yeah to go up to him and go you know get you know what's the problem mate get out of the way or go around the other way of the pool table which was losing face I guess but it just kept me out of trouble and I remember I went that right I went right around the like, pool that table that was nice and I went fuck I wouldn't have done that before but you know what I got to where I wanted to go to. I got yeah. to the stairs with no bother, no altercation. And he I haven't like, got a black eye. I haven't got a bloody mouth. I'm not in trouble. And you kind of won. And I kind of won. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I remember going, like, it was 20 years ago, but I remember walking up those stairs and I was kind of wrestling. Fuck, do I just go back am I, down? Am I a bitch? You know, yeah, like, am, yeah, I, am I? Yeah, what, what's going on here? So it was a bit of a reconciliation with your own ego and your own identity. But... It, it set a tone and it told me that I'd evolved and I'd changed, which was... Um, that's like the turning point. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, 
I first moved to the Sunshine Coast here, I was studying and there was this thing called a uni night, university night, and it's like the Thursday night. I was only like 18, so all the uni people were about 18. It was like, oh, this is like the young, this is the new thing to go to. I remember going there with a guy who lived here and he was quite a big guy and he was quite rowdy and had a lot, he knew a lot of people, he knew some of the security guards. So I'm around him, so I've already got a good kind of sense of security and energy yeah. and like everything's going good. And then there was an altercation and, you know, someone's kind of, you know, give me that same type of thing. There's a door I could have taken to be in a fight. Or I just kind of walk around the guy who's death staring me like he wants to kill me or just trying to show me he's the man. And I just ignore him. And if you ignore someone, it really takes away that power. Yeah. And I just was like, same thing. I just walked around him and uh, stopped. He was staring at me, whatever. I just like, I'm just not going to look at him. And there was moments of like, oh, I've like, am I like, have I been a, is that a bitch move? Yeah. And then five minutes after that, I'm like, I just get to have a good night now. And I don't have to worry about that. And like, if I would have gotten that altercation, that means that I've got to test myself every time I'm here. I'll be known as the person, you know, yeah, people see, other guys will see that thing go. again. So that was a good uh, benchmark. But um, one thing that we were going to get on the conversation of in the last podcast on mine is um, you were asking me about, um, you went through a lot of back stuff, lower back pain. Yeah, yeah. And you were going to ask me about mine and I said, I'd love to chat about it on yours because it's it's something that changed my life completely, similar to your yeah. story. And, it's crazy how we've... We're like the same person. We've come with... Are you me? <laughs> yeah. um, we've come together through a friend of a friend, but I have actually had this conversation with a few people um, and not, some of them not in the podcast, some of them on there. And it's a, it's a common issue, but it's not really understood. And especially coming from... We were both personal trainers at the time, you know, and I got I got my injury at the exact same time as you. Like oh, really? when I was studying to become a personal trainer, I got the oh, injury. Really? And again, I was just trying to do more than what I was capable of. And I thought everything was mechanical. I always thought that everything was only sort out mechanicals. Because at, at 19, you know, halfway through my fit college, I'm um, a fitness course. Um, I could pretty much eat anything and stay pretty lean. My main goal was I was so active. I did so many sports and I was training the gym. Just get the calories in. Just get the calories in. Cans of tuna, McGorang noodles, just like getting whatever I can in. And so it was never really a nutrition thing at the time for me. But... It was more education of understanding like that we have a certain amount of mana or energy and like you can't just bash it. When you're young, you can get over just doing so much. You would have been yeah. the same, just yeah. exercising, exercising. One day you're doing heavy, the next day you're doing long distance. You're just yeah. trying to do everything. You're the man, you feel good, your testosterone's high at that age. All your joints are fresh and haven't been beaten up yet. And you'd look back, you'd probably look back being your age as well, look back at yourself at that age going, I can't believe I lasted that long of smashing yeah. myself like yeah. that. Yeah, for me, it was like, if it wasn't then, it would have been another time. It just, mm-hmm. I got to 29 and that was it for me. Like, just bashing my body. Every day, I just got so neurotic about exercise. Like, a really unhealthy... Mm-hmm. Uh, a new addiction. Addiction, yeah. Um, every day, I'd do something. Whether it was, you know... And then, I'm, I'm very binary. I'm, I'm not so anymore in the sense that if I trained, I trained as hard as I could. Mm-hmm. Even if it was, you know, I'd talk myself into a long run. So a long run is supposed to be, you know, at a slower pace. But I'd trick myself and do a fast, long run. Yeah, like, yeah, there's yeah. just so many fucking narratives going on in my brain. But anyway, yeah, carry on. Well, uh, what was different is a lot of people hear my story known as from my motorbike accident. So I got to a defining... I'll fast forward and then go back. I got to a defining age where I'd kind of made it. So... 
for people that who, who haven't seen my social media or don't know who I am or whatnot is um I kind of went through a stage where I did really well at a young age. I started, one of my friends said to me, hey, you're, you've got a really good body shape. I've got really like skinny wrists and skinny ankles and the muscle bellies look really good. And that's how like Frank Zane, a lot of bodybuilders became good. Like having small uh, small bones and adding, adding a lot of muscle on them. And I'm pretty good height. Like I'm about the, I'm the average height of like the pro um, IFBBs and whatnot. So I had this, I didn't have any idea at the time, but my mate, he was a bodybuilder. He competed the year before as, as a junior and he won the junior, junior state comp. And he goes, I think you could win the junior state comp. And all it takes is for someone who you respect and it's close to you to give you that push. Anyone can be a very good competitor. You've got to have a little bit of the right starting and the right discipline. But he goes, all right, seven months until the comp, you're going to get to bulk up. You don't have enough size. So he fully was like, gave me the push. And I knew, you know, this is after I'd been a personal trainer for years. I knew how to put muscle on, but I was like, why do I need to get too big? Like, I just want to be lean and big. And I was already in good shape. And he's like, no, no, you need to, really put a lot of muscle on and then cut down. So I did that, went through that journey, had a competition. And luckily, I always thought, why not? Why don't I take a lot of photos and get a photographer to take good photos of me while I'm in this good condition? And luckily I did that because it wasn't just the comp that made me, like I was Instagram famous for a bit. You know, I don't like to say it now because mine's like a lifestyle thing. I'm kind of, I don't even like to say influencer, but I've got a wellness page that has close to half a million followers between all my social media. And um, back in the day, that was big. Now there's people with millions on TikTok. But, you know, I've maintained that as well, but I've changed the way I'm doing it. Back then, just had a few followers, just started learning how to post and taking photos of myself lean and people asking me and started doing a bit of online coaching. And it was that turning point where my mates like, oh, you could do the, the seven months, you could do the Queensland comp. Long story long. <laughs> Did the comp. Everyone else there was nowhere near as low body fat as me in the juniors. I was only versing like two or three other guys. Won that competition and then I was meant to go to the nationals, which I was like, I don't even know there was another thing after that. And I did really well and I, I spent hours and hours learning how to pose like Frank Zane and getting all the perfect poses, one leg out, classic bodybuilding poses. Yeah. And I uh, got invited to the Australian champs, but that was in Tasmania and I was like, I kind of, I was living week to week as a personal trainer, just like, you know, doing my thing not involved in selling drugs anymore, doing everything all legit again. Um, and I said to the guy that was, um, there was a there was a guy at the competition, the first comp I did, who owned the tanning company. And he came to me after the comp and was like, I want to give you my tans because you looked good on stage. And I think you could be someone one day. And I was like, very nice. And then he knew the organization owner, like the CEO of the organization. I told him, hey, I'd love, thanks for the sponsorship for the tans, but... I can't make it to the Tasmania. I'm you know, just not going to go there. I can't afford it. And he goes, um, I'll talk to the owner. And the owner gets hold of me. We do a, we do like a, a, a call on the phone. And he's like, call me. And I'm like all nervous and stuff. And he goes, I'm going to give you a, a, an invite to the Worlds. The first time the Worlds is going to be at the Gold Coast. The first time the Worlds is going to be in Australia in ages. So you can skip the Australian titles. But you have to come bigger and more straighter than the last comp. You've got six months. So this is, I'm already pushing myself as hard as I could. So I go again bulk up a little bit, have a bit of time off, not not just scratching my, smashing myself to be lean, eating a bit more calories, you know, make a few mistakes in the diet, but always training, training heavy and training often. So what, what would be your rep range? Uh, I would do, I was doing everything. I was yeah. doing, I'd come in the morning and I'd train uh, like three to five reps and then I'd train the same muscle group in the afternoon and do high reps. Mm. I was doing like, and this is not the best way to train either. Now my new philosophy is different. We can, chat about that after that but I was listening just to just to yeah. go on a tangent I was listening to um, 
Who's the uh, Ronnie Coleman? Yeah, were you yeah. listening to him the other day? The documentary or uh, no on uh, Rogan? No, I, I do. He would he would, he would he do a on, similar thing. Yeah. So instead of doing that sort of classic um, uh, low rep range, he was a power bodybuilder. He was doing uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now he's in basically <laughs> backs all. It would have resonated you resonate with both of us. Yeah. Made me. I watched the Ronnie Coleman documentary oh, on Netflix. And put put tears in my eyes because yeah. you know. Our both our backs have had problems and mine's back and forth, but we skip forward. I go to Worlds. I become I get a little bit bigger, a little bit leaner, and I compete at Worlds. And I there was no one in my weight class. No one turned up in my weight class. So they said to me, "What do you mean? Like not, literally, no one turned up?" Yeah, no one in my weight class. It was a big competition. So instead, they were like, "You need to go into the men's because I was competing as a junior, right. and there was only like one other junior, and he was way heavier." So he would have won just instantly. Yeah. So they're like, you're better off just going against the men. And I'm like, I'm fucking, cause you, you can become, you're a junior until you're like 19 or 20. And then I think, you know, you can be even until you're 21 or whatever. So I competed with the men's and this is like guys from South Korea that look like a biology assessment, but just amazing physiques. And they've, they've followed their diet for three years to the T without even, without even their stomach being tense. You can see everything. All yeah. they're all like mini, um, Jay Cutler's and Phil Heath's and they looked incredible and they were all thrown in my weight class and they were heavier but they're like this is just the men just go into it I'm competing against like 15 guys I only come like 9 or 10th don't even get close to the top 5 but these guys all were in incredible shape and you know people noticed it and again I kept getting photo shoots done when these competitions were happening because I was like I'm in good shape I'll take photos like yeah. I could see that I put a photo on Instagram and everyone's like oh this is amazing and people from all over the world and that's when everything started blowing up around those competitions. But what was strange is um, when I tell my story to people about my lower back injury, everyone thinks it's from the motorbike accident. But that what, that's what made it a lot worse. But if we, re, if we rewind to the first year of becoming a personal trainer doing my fit college assessment, I started getting into like CrossFit training when it first came out and was first popularized. And it was just one of the workouts we're doing with the other people in my fit college class, my fitness university class. And we we're quite competitive, just young men. And we're doing this thing where it's like your own body weight on the barbell, so like about 70 kilos on the barbell for as many reps as possible in like a minute or something, which is just an equation what, for... Like dis- a clean or something? No, just a deadlift. Oh, did, yeah, as right. many as you can uh, of a deadlift um, in like a minute or something crazy like that. And that's just... A <laughs> lower back, lower back, lower back. Yeah. And that's where I fucked it. Eesh. And what was really upset me and has made me a really passionate coach and a movement coach is... Um, the trainer who was our teacher, he was a certified trainer and a college a fitness teacher for a certificate four and diploma. He watched me with bad technique the whole time and because yeah, it was right. just a job he was working for the college, like he's not my, I'm not his client, I'm just a student. He just watched me do it with bad technique and was like, oh, the guys are just going hard and had no passion around it because he never had an injury, like a lower back injury himself. I'd found out after. Because I was really upset. I was like, oh, aren't we as teachers and coaches meant to pull someone up, you know, go over to someone and say, hey, I know you're trying to win this thing, but the technique's not good. I don't want to injure yourself. Yeah. And um, you would have been the same with your clients. Because of your own injury, you would have been very, I want you to do it right. Yeah. Quality, quality, quality. So that's kind of where the injury started. I didn't know what the injury was for a bit and I was still trying to squat heavy and I was trying to put size on and whatnot. I was still young my first year of, you know, my fourth or fifth year of training in the gym still understanding what to do i used to just do one rep max with my mates and only train upper body when i first started so that was where the injury started and then i kind of got better i was young so the disc can kind of go back into the spine and the 
you just figure things out. And there was a bit of pain, but I was young. Things are still repairing. And then fast forward after these competitions, it was straight after that competition at the Worlds. And I wanted to compete in a different federation that was really like popular on social media. My social media had started growing a lot by then from the photo shoots. And I was growing like 5,000 followers like a week and things were really blowing up. And I was, I was vest, investing the money I was making for my social media back into it to grow up more. I was like, oh, finally I've got something. I can, I can finally buy the things that I've always wanted and the ego starts growing. Because, you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, growing up, I had nothing. Yeah. So now it was all about all the items I could buy. So I had a shoe wall, all the pairs of Nikes and Adidas. And because I was a trainer, like, oh, they're work shoes. You know, buying watches online and buying the brands that I couldn't afford beforehand. And, you know, I thought I'd made it and I was making good money through social media. It was back in the day when having like, you know, 50,000. Well, through, through online coaching. Online coaching, sponsorships, gifts. You just get right. given, brands just give you gifts all the time. I had yeah. boxes and boxes of stuff all over I had my mates, I was living with my mates and I had in the spare, spare room, I had boxes of stuff that were just sitting there and I was like, oh, if anyone wants anything, grab it from here. But the problem is I didn't realize I was so involved in growing the social media. It was like an addiction, like a video game. The numbers were going up and the, and I was getting paid more and it's just like people in business. You get addicted, like you were saying in um, my podcast earlier, you know, you got shingles at an age where you're just working really hard. Because you get addicted to success. You're yeah. like, this is the right thing to do. I didn't have much growing up or my parents had always worked hard, so we got to work hard. And I got so obsessed with it that um, you know, I was working hard, training all the time. I bought, a, I bought a motorbike and I had the dream car that I wanted for that time. Um, paid everything in cash, no loans. I was quite smart like that. But um, it was items, items, items. Better photos of myself, better angles. Like, oh, get a video here. Like, oh, I don't look good enough. More videos. And then I was riding my motorbike after I'd had it for about a week, I think. I had like a ninja road bike that I had no idea how to ride. I got my bike license in like a one day thing. And I had, luckily I had a helmet on, but I just was wearing shorts and a pair of Nikes. And I was leaving the gym. I finished, I remember the exact workout, had an amazing workout. I was taking pre-workout, so I was all pumped up on caffeine trained a little bit of legs and calves because I was like, I've got to work on those muscles. I had a competition coming up like in about five months, whatever. So I'm just on top of the world. The yeah. ego's massive. Yeah. You know, to me, I was also nice everyone. But when I look back at it and I had a, I spent some time with my best friend of 10 years or something yesterday for lunch and we opened our hearts and spoke about some of the things I've always wanted to say. And he was saying that, you know, it became a bit much. I was always the one pushing my success and telling everyone how successful I was instead of asking how their day was. Right. And, you know, I totally agreed with him. And he was like, you know, that's he goes, I never got angry because I understood that you always wanted more. And I would try to share that success with my friends, but it was still about me. You know, film this, take a photo of this, whatever. Riding on the way back from the gym, highest high, energy's just amazing. I had everything I ever wanted, the dream, the the pretty girlfriend, the big social media, I've become a star. I thought I'd become a star. And then my mate's got this BMW and he takes off and I'm like, no one gets in front of me. I'm on the motorbike. So I'm trying to race him. And then without even realizing what I'm doing, I'm doing like 120 or something in one second or third gear. And I try to get in front of my mate. I was so competitive. I just got in front of him and his BMW and I look up and I was like, fuck, we ran out of road. There was no road left. And I look up and it was a red light. And on the left is a like a turn off to go back to where we live. But I was like, oh, it's a pretty sharp turn. But at the time, everything was like so mm. mashed in together. I was like, mm. I had to make a decision. I can't go through the red light. 
So I went to touch the brakes on and I didn't have a bike with ABS. I, I went cheaper. I wanted the cool bike that looked cool, but I didn't understand about brakes and stuff. No ABS. And I t- locked the brakes on and I go full MotoGP. The back end starts drifting out and I have oh. no idea what to do. I don't know how to slow it down oh. or whatever. And I could see it all <laughs> happening in front of me and literally it went slow-mo, but my controls were also slow-mo. I didn't know what to do. My legs were shaking from training. I was like, my pre-workout had just fried me out. I hit an island and as I hit the island, like the little island section to get away from oncoming traffic, all the rims of my bike fully hit the island so hard that all the weight went through my back and my knees and I could feel something like shattering in my lower back. I could feel the pressure in my knees. But at the time, the adrenaline's so high that at the time I was just like, oh, I haven't hit a car yet. Stay on, stay on, stay on. And then after the first island, it kind of bunny hopped me up and I put my heel down and my ankle folded underneath the bike. And that's when my ankle got fully smashed and I have to, I still have to get surgery for it um, in a few weeks. I've, I've left it off for six, five, six years now. I stay on again, bounce, hit the second island. I just come off the bike and as my back hits the ground, I land on grass. Mm. And so I've got a singlet on and I land on grass and I slide. I hit a bull ant's nest. Right. And all I remember is I got up and my ankle's fully broken, folded in like that. <laughs> I get up and I'm limping and all I could worry about was my motorbike. Cause I'm like, I scratched my motorbike again about my items instead yeah. of my own health. And I'm getting bitten by bull ants inside my helmet. So I'm freaking out there. And then as soon as I, I take two steps to go get my motorbike and then I look at my ankle oh, and it's folded oh. and then I get down and I get all kind of like, you know, your yeah. adrenaline runs out and you realize you're not good, mate. You sweet. Yeah. Like the motorbike's not the main issue. And then my mates were like, you know, I got hit by cars. My phone was fell out of my pocket and some chick who drove past who stopped and gave my phone back to me and they were calling the ambulance and stuff. And my mates grabbed my motorbike for me. They get me in the car and they're like, let's just get out of here. There's too much going on. I get back home and, and it all starts to hit me. And then... They didn't wait for the police or anything? No, no. We just got out of there because we so were... We just leave the motorbike on the side? No, they pushed it back. Oh. So one of my mates, my big mate, who's like a protective older brother of me, He's like a powerlifter guy. He's like, you just drive back, I'll push it back. And my other mate also helped him. They were just like, just the best friends to have around you. And they said they watched the whole time. They witnessed me because I pulled in front of their car. They're all in the BMW. And they're like, we thought you were going to die. We all shit our pants. We're all freaking out. We didn't want to see you mangled. Cars went past just missing you. And that, when everything settled down, I like, laying on the couch in so much pain and I looked up and I've never been someone who's a Christian and believed in God. And I look up and I'm like, okay all right there's a there's someone up there i don't know if it's god right but someone saved my ass today and there's a reason why and i need to i need to pull this skin of status and ego back and i need to take life more serious i need to stop being an asshole and i need to respect what i've earned and it all just and then you know eventually ambulance turned up we eventually called the ambulance because it got my ankle got worse and worse when the ambulance got a green stick little suck thing you suck, suck on to you know, the pain and then the cops turn up and they're like, oh, we can't question you because you're, you're doing this. And I eventually, you know, I eventually um, stayed at the hospital for like most of the night or whatever. And then a few days later, I'm in a wheelchair and it was my, the two days later or one day later, I tell this story on my Instagram all the time. I'm in a wheelchair on my 22nd birthday, I think. And I'm bond cleaning. We had to move out. We had to move out of that apartment we were living oh. in with my mates and I'm so happy for my mates. They did most of the work because I'm in a wheelchair but I'm just doing my best to scrub the sides of the walls because we're pretty dirty guys living in one apartment and that's when I was like, okay, like this is a, you can take, you can take two roads right now. You can play the victim and you can just quit and be like, you know, you've lost it. Like you're never going to, I got told by doctors, you know, you're not going to be probably competing again this year and, 
And I, I relied on your ankle or your back. Just just the whole, most of the ankle, but the whole situation. I didn't even get a scan of my back at that time. The ankle was the, the thing that was mangled, like kind of all bruised and folded. In. And then, you know, like I found out a few weeks later that I should have got in, I should have got surgery on my ankle, but I didn't see it on the first scan. But like all these kind of, all these things happened. And there was the, the first, in my, first time in my life since I was like, had nothing again when I was young, I was going through an adulthood growth. Yeah. And there was so much time for reflection. I couldn't just run down and be this heroic guy that trains all the time. I had to not think about photo shoots and competitions and to start yeah. recording videos of me on crutches and talking to the camera because I was always talking and I was very good at just like Snapchatting and doing Instagram videos and to show them at my weakest week. And uh, luckily, because I shared my story when I finally, I finally competed like a few months after that, like six months, I think it was only like, I think it was only like three months after, like 15 weeks or something. I competed again and I did quite well. I came like third in the national competition for a different federation. And I I shared my story the whole time. It was a very big, it was a big part of my progression. Yeah. Sharing like, this is me in my wheelchair, like drinking protein out of a protein shaker as a joke. And I'm just skinny and I'm just, you know, you can just see it in me. I just don't look good. And then 14 weeks later, like on stage, like third place with this shredded. Yeah. And um, that's when the social media grew even more. But this time I was like, okay, this is not, because of me being amazing, but the story of the, the hero story. Yeah. And I started understanding about the growth and I started learning. I started reading books for the first time in years and listening to podcasts and learning about like ego and stuff. And it's still a never ending thing since then. But to lead to the back injury, I kept masking everything with just more workouts, more mechanical movement and just more this. And I was like taking things, you know, taking steroids for my competitions and it made my back feel better. And like, I would just be doing more and more to try to mask that I actually had this back issue that I never addressed and I just never gave it time. And slowly but surely, as you did when you were in your late 20s, um, it came back and it came back to the point where I've been dealing with it off and on when I sit too much or I don't do the right movements and I don't look again about inflammation and sugar and that's the thing I was going to talk to you about that I'm really interested to talk about with yours. Um, it came to the point where it, it, it made me a non-happy person anymore and the people around me can notice that my energy is not as good and like I can't even go to dinner to sit down with someone. I can't go to the movies. I can't sit down and edit or take, you know, do anything on my laptop. It, it, and it, it pulls you out of life. And, and anyone who is experiencing back pain or any chronic pain would, would have to agree with that, I think. Like even going, the simple things like going for dinner, I remember... You know, for seven years I was in that state that you'd go to a restaurant and the first thing you do, you don't wish the birthday boy happy birthday before you've scanned the room and you've worked out. Which is a better seat. Which is a better seat. No, that's so true. You know, it's me it every a, is time. It, is it a stool? Is it a bench seat? Can Are you get cushions? a better posture? Yeah. Oh my God. So you do all that. You have, that's And that's you do that multiple times a day. Anyone who has back pain like what we did and what we I have back and forth will understand that and the rest of the people will be very confused why you just said that but they'll understand it <laughs> yeah. it hits me right in the feels and other things you were saying in the podcast on my channel earlier when I was you know interviewing you was I was like every time you said stuff I was like oh, it's so painful because I know how real it is Yeah, I want to know because I could lie now and say that my back's perfect and that I've fully fixed it and I'm the best coach ever but I put so much energy into creating 
content, working with my clients. I've got, you know, I've trained five, six hundred clients in the last two years online, five, six hundred, five to six hundred clients in the gym, clients come and go, you know, clients that I've still been with for two years, put all my energy into them. And what I've realized is over this COVID period from I started a YouTube channel and I started podcasting and, you know, doing a lot more is my back's become pretty bad again. And I've really been looking into um, diet now because, you know, I've got better by doing Pilates and physio and strength training the right way and not arching weight and posture and looking at my, you know, if I, do, if I do laps in the pool, it becomes good for a few hours. But mm. what I've really noticed is this, if I eat carbohydrates that have sugars in them, mm. the next day, even if I'm only laying down and just perfect day or walking or whatever, the mm. back flares up like crazy. What was your, because I know that was a big transformation for you. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I'm not a nutrition scientist. I'm not a professor of nutrition or anything like that. So I can only speak about, you know, my, my own experience and my level of knowledge. But I, I do think that what I went through, I became my own case study. And so what happened with me is that in that seven-year period uh, of pain, inflammation, and consequently depression and social sort of isolation um, before yeah. it became the thing, um, <laughs> my diet wasn't terrible, but I can look back now and go, yeah, there's some definitely some potholes in there. And so at that point in the eighth year, I decided to smooth over those potholes and really focus on these anti-inflammatory foods and really kind of eliminate as best I can the, the pro-inflammatory foods. And as I said in your podcast earlier, it was about, let's say a year, progressing all the time. The trial pain, and error. Yeah, trial and error. Because what you're, what you're dealing with here is like um, new patterns of behavior, which are, you know, let, let's talk about breakfast, for example, for 30 years, well, more than that, 35 years up to the, more, cereal. 30, 37 years, let's say, yeah. It might be cereal and milk. It might be eggs on toast. toast. Yeah. So now, because you're trying to avoid grains, you're trying to avoid toast, you're like, oh, what the fuck are my eggs going to sit on? They don't have to sit on anything. But it's a weird shift. It's and a I weird ask, shift. I ask some of my clients, because I'm all about protein keto mornings i don't mind a bit of carbohydrates at night time but i might make a shift on that soon but just have your eggs and bacon or whatever and they're like what do you, or just eggs <laughs> yeah. and they're like what but what about the toast i'm like yeah. do you think it really matters and they're like it does and i'm like well, well the, the way i frame it is that you, you take you take a beautiful sandwich right you've got a ham ham cheese tomato sandwich salad sandwich tastes great you take away the, the ham, the tomato, the cheese, the lettuce, the onion, the butter. You're left with something that's white, bland, pretty tasteless. It only tastes great, great, in my opinion, when you lather it with butter, butter mm. maybe a pinch of salt or something. And that fucking tastes yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually the salt and the butter that, that brings it to life. If it's on its own, just like pasta, it's pretty... Bland. Mm. It's just a filler. I and feel it has like no. We, we, it has zero. It has an, anti anti nutrients. It'll yeah. it'll devalue your your health. So once, so these things don't happen overnight. It, it's it's learning new patterns of behaviour. What are your eggs going to sit on now? What's your ragu going to go with now? 
Um, so they're hard things to kind of, that's trial and error stuff, it's, it's forging new patterns. But to my point earlier about me being a case study, and I can only speak from that, that position, it's like I believe in that time that I patched up those potholes and cleaned up my nutrition, my immune system was no longer putting out fires from you know the, the bread and pro-inflammatory food. And that allowed it the bandwidth to do what your body does naturally, and that's to heal. So your body's MO is to um, thrive, to heal, to, to replenish. But if it's putting out spot fires everywhere because you're eating shit or you're drinking or a poor lifestyle, you know, it's, it doesn't have the bandwidth for that. And so by cleaning up my nutrition at that point in my life, I think, this is the way I framed it in my mind, that it, it allowed my body to work on that disc area and, and heal and, and repair. And, you know, as I said, it didn't happen overnight, but definitely over... Um, but also parallel to that is learning to manage my ego with training mm-hmm. and not go, okay, my back's feeling pretty good. Let's see if I can deadlift. Full it's max. Like, what are you fucking thinking? Like, What's the deadlift going to really do for you? Like, are you <laughs> yeah. competing in a deadlifting competition? Because No, not at all. If you're not, yeah. if you're not a professional powerlifter, the deadlift, actually the movement, has totally. very low properties in athleticism. And a guy that I can't wait to share to you more, he's been on another episode of my podcast, is uh, Ben Patrick. His Instagram is knees over toes guy. I always recommend him. I don't, there's, no, um, there's no sponsorship or anything. Yeah. I just, he's just great because he proves as a you know a white male who's a pretty low height for for NBA standards who's coaching NBA and playing with NBA athletes and guys that are really good like top competition dunkers coming back from knee surgeries and everything he proves that doing squats and deadlifts he just doesn't do them mm. because he doesn't see that they convert over to athleticism and the stuff he can do with his body is very incredible his strength through range his strength of his knees and coming back from a guy that couldn't dunk because his knees were so weak and his his jump height was horrible and his doctor said that he you know had no chance and he just became obsessed just like you with your books he became obsessed with he was his own guinea pig because mm. all all you know they even said this on i was listening to mind muscle um podcast yesterday on the drive back from uh, working up north and uh they were saying that all these big controlled studies they did like a few years ago, they've tried to replicate them and the percentages came back so low that they're not even, they can't really be used. So a lot of the studies that we're looking at, yes, that's good because we're getting an insight, but it's really just like someone's trial and error and what works well for that group. And that group has, they've struggled to find another group of 60 people to do the exact same study to even have the similar percentages. So they're saying that, all science right now, and we get this gets debunked all the time, especially about fats. You know, you would have a big thing in your book, your keto book, mm. about I do seminars and um, I work for the Snap Fitness Company and travel around to the other gyms and do seminars about like how fats your friend, mm. and it's helped me so much with brain function, my ADD and injuries and mm. whatnot. You know, they for years we were like low fat everything. Mm. For years it was like everything has low fat on it and now I'm like if it ever has low fat on it don't buy it because mm. what's replacing the fat because fat gives you taste mm. what's, what's replacing it is preservatives and sugars and carbohydrates and other mm. stuff and fat one gram of fat has nine calories 
and one gram of carbohydrates, which could be one gram of sugar, it's the same thing, yeah. has only, uh, what is it, six? I think it's only six, four. Yeah. Is it four calories or six calories? Anyway, it's a lot less. So basically, by pulling fats out of things, which is expensive to have high-quality fats in things, and by adding in processed carbohydrates, the calories look less on the label. So people are like, oh, I'm, I'm calorie counting. I'm, I'm going to lose weight. Mm. But the body's h- hormone system and immune system and function isn't a calorie counting machine. Nah. It's a overall hormonal balanced thing that you can't fake. Like You can't just drink Diet Cokes and think that you're going to stand to your calories. Like It gives you an uh, insulin reaction and that insulin reaction is a sweet taste in your mouth which is giving you an insulin spike but because there isn't any nutrients there, you just get hungry and hungry and hungry and then that mm. night you end up binging on real sugar, mm. real food and more mm. stuff. And like we, we'll probably do another podcast about fats and keto because I'd love to do that. Even if you're in Sydney, we'll just jump on a Zoom. But... I want to know, like, for for my sake and for the listeners, like, was was it the? Did you truly think that there was a certain part where you can't just mechanically keep working on an injury that you have to eventually look at the look at the nutrition? Uh, well, yeah, that that's what happened for me. So for for seven years, uh, I still had the same tenacity that I do now when I apply myself to work or whatever it is to fix myself. So I didn't go and see one physio. I saw multiple because everyone everyone's got a recommendation. Oh, you got to go and see my man. You got to go and see my back woman. So I went to see. I've heard that all for yeah. the last five years. And it comes from a genuine place. Yeah, yeah. So I saw heaps of physios, heaps of osteos, heaps of chiros. I'm not a religious man, but I went to see healing hands, acupuncture, massage. You try anything when you're in pain. Anything. Um, and look, I would. I had. Uh, I had cortisone i had tromel injections i had discussions with um, neuro um, um, surgeons about surgery so you know i was you know dabbling dabbling um hard uh and there would be moments of success i thought i'd, I'd found the the holy grail with tromel uh, which is like a, a homeopathic injection so straight into the area of uh, is it like prolotherapy? It's like they put carbohydrates or sugar into the area? So it's similar uh, to cortisol, but instead it's not it, as damaging? It, yeah, it works in a similar similar fashion, but yeah, it's, it's homeopathic. Yeah. And mate, I went from not being good at all to half an hour later walking out down Macquarie Street in Sydney going, oh my God, if I have to do this every six months for I'll the rest it. of my I'll life. I'll do it. Like, Sign me up. And then six months later, my back started to get rough again. You know, I'm not doing. I'm also not doing the, the other things well. Yeah. I'm not training smart. Yeah. I'm not eating as well as I could do. So I go back, but it's fine because I've got this thing in my back pocket now. I can yeah. go and have this tromel injection. Band, big band aid. Yeah. And he hit me again with the injection. And I was like, oh, it's taken a while to kick in, and essentially it never kicked in. The body's smart, isn't it? It never kicked in, and. I went back to the guy and I said, oh, look, the first time worked a charm, second time, so we did it again, didn't work. Uh, and so I didn't have that thing in my back no. pocket anymore. And you're like, oh, shit, I better get into real shit now. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was in that eighth year that I, I started looking at my nutrition. But, yeah, I, I think, obviously, in my, in my opinion, it was that freeing up that bandwidth for it to heal itself. But then running parallel to that is detaching a lot of ego with regards to training, yeah, training now, you know, it helps that I do all my training at home. 
So all of a no sudden, there's watching. no one's watching. No yeah, one gives yeah. a shit. Well, nobody gives a shit anyway. But it's but all, you feel like yeah, that. people yeah, are watching. Yeah. So you lift heavier or go. And if faster. you're the you came from the PT, you're the trainer. So yeah, you got so to be I've the got boss. Yeah. You got to lift a bit more and a bit more reps. Yeah. And and make sure it looks intense yeah. and shorter rests. And also, I wanted there was you know for years I wanted to leave the gym like drenched. Yeah, yeah. Now like now don't even want to. Be. I I my training I'd probably train four maybe five times a week in the mornings uh on the balcony a couple of kettlebells and dumbbells whatever um it's literally to to reach my mood retune yeah uh and the other thing i do it because i i know i can eat more yes in the day um but it's not to look it's not a competitive thing anymore probably a little bit to you know you know keep you keep you trim um, that's related not to health that, it's still related yeah, to not health not having yeah. that ego and that competitive thing around it um, means I, I train smart or smarter mm. um, so th- you know there's the diet there's that you know I, I you know I don't sit in the chair like I'm, I'm getting uncomfortable now yeah because we've same. been sitting here yeah. for a couple of hours um, but maybe everyone does yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, you're at the stage where yeah. like, everyone should too. Yeah, and I think you actually you get to a point when you've had an injury like a lower back injury, where you're just more sensitive to knowing when the body's sending you a response saying this is not good. Any position is not good for too long. Yeah. Any position. This is one thing that um, might might help you. It certainly helped me. Um, I saw one guy, amazing guy, Cairo. I've seen my back guy. Oh yeah, you got to yeah. see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at that time, I'd seen like a million Cairo, so I didn't hold out much hope. But he, he ended up being really good, and occasionally I see him. And he said, "What's going on with your back is that you've got just like you have um, uh, muscle memory. So when you you know yeah. un- you're not training when you start back training, you everything you get- fires up and those stem cells um, fire up as muscles." The flip to that is trauma memory. So your um, physiology is sending, you know, your own trauma is sending your physiology a certain message and that message is that you've got to be careful, you've got to be, you know, so, you know, take things easy, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, don't. Yeah. It's attached so, to that. So it's attached to that. So you, your body's almost in this hypertensile state. It's in this fear so it, it the other locked, muscles around it are it always locked out. So, yeah, so you're constantly in spasm. So one additional thing that helped me, and that came from this guy, was that you you've got to tell your body that it's, it's okay. okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to bend down and grab your phone. Yeah. It's okay to pick up that kettlebell because it's it's not a hundred kilos. No, it's no. twenty kilos, and you can do that. Mm-hmm. You're not that debilitated. I mean, the injury doesn't dictate that you can't. It's yeah. your physiology that's yeah. telling itself a certain message. So that that was a process, and that was sort of in parallel to everything else, but it definitely worked. So it was literally telling myself, you're all right, Scott. Don't, don't, don't pick something up. Oh, shit. That's all right. That, don't worry about that's that. That's probably good timing. That's all right. Like, don't, don't pick... <laughs> Sorry, man. No, no, no drama. I got but, but But don't pick up a cup like, like that. perfect because you're, every time. Because you're scared. <laughs> Like, what would you do in real life? You'd just pick it up like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you'd flex a little bit of the knees, but you round like, out through the back. For years, every every morning, putting my shoes on was like, I'm so scared to put my shoes yeah. on. Yeah, paranoid that yeah, you're going to make yeah. it worse. And so, 
that that was a process, but that definitely helped. And that I don't know whether that, I mean it might be something you're doing already, but te- teaching yourself. No, I, I listened. But... To, I have. To, it doesn't matter if I've already done it. I think I've tried so many different things that I know what worked. Like when I competed in a competition in America, and on my on my journey to getting in good shape for that, I always find that when I want to get in really lean shape, and I actually start exercising more in the right way, my back can get better because I'm eating healthier, mm. less processed stuff, less sugar. And then I'm putting myself through full ranges of movement and I'm working on... Big thing for me was when I actually trained my core without rounding my lower back, like static holds, um, you know, dragon flags, like leg levers, stuff where I'm not rounding at my lower back but I'm getting my hip flexors and core engaged, my back feels better straight away. Mm. But then I'm matching that with eating super clean and then on my journey, journey to getting more flexibility and wanting to move better, I got obsessed with yoga and I was doing yoga every morning nearly 90 minutes hot yoga like really a mental journey took me through stages of ego and stages of discovery that I could have never got from anywhere else without taking any plant medicine Mm. like there's certain times 60 minutes into a hot yoga session I'm actually like I'm going to leave this fucking room and I need to get out of here because this is too much and I literally feel like I'm going to pass out why is it so overheated and my mind's racing it's not just the heat it's the time to think and a lot of a lot of people have you know, hot yoga. A lot of people hate it. You're screaming from the inside. A lot of people hate it because you have so much time to think and you're going through things that you're not so good at, especially... It's a, a long time. It's a long Half time. Half an too long for me in yoga. But it's good. It's really good for you. So I went through that journey. I was doing yoga and I was also... Tr- but the thing is, I wasn't just doing yoga and stretching and stretching and stretching. I was doing more standing positions and trying to use the muscles to engage. And I found that's much better than just trying to get flexibility. Becoming more flexible when you have a back injury like a bulging disc can sometimes be counterintuitive most mm. of the time because you want you want trunk stability. Have you ever heard mm. of Dr. Stuart McGill, mm. the big three? No. He's like the pro back guy in America. Like He's the most famous, has all these books. He, he helped... The powerlifter Jathorbone or Jathorn, whatever the powerlifter's name is, he broke his sacrum powerlifting and he helped him heal it and come back and got the world record. And they made a book about it, incredible book. I forgot what it's called, but it's like the athlete's journey or something like that, the back athlete's journey or something. And um, his is all about like he goes, stop doing yoga, stop stretching, stop being weird about it. Do these three core stability exercises. You can Google Google them. They're called Stuart McGill's Big Three. It's a side plank modified curl up it's like a crunch but you hold the crunch and have your back your hands underneath your lower back to create a good lumbar curve um and then it's a bird dog which you've done with physios where you put one arm and one leg out at a time you've ever done that with a physio it's like number one back physio thing but they're really good to do each day i found great success and they make your lifts go up your strength go up because everything's activated but the biggest thing for him is like he explained in the podcast he was like Yoga was not designed for the body. Mm. Yoga was designed for the mind. It wasn't until um, Bikram, which he has a documentary, was a bit trippy and bad shit happened, but Bikram bought yoga, um, brought yoga over to Los Angeles, to Hollywood, and then they holoized it, and they basically um, made it about the body because you could sell more. If, it's, if anything's about the body, no one really sells their online transformation program with a picture of being like, your mind will be stronger, you'll be healthy, you'll have better mental health. They do it, they're starting to do it more now, but it's usually a picture of a transformation. Mm. and things just sell better people want more that upfront motivation but he explains it's like yoga is for your mind so don't do yoga because you've got an injury because Mm. it might help a little bit but what is the injury work on a program through a professional trainer or a physio or something that understands the exact injury and what needs to be done for it Mm. and he goes with the lower back 
you've got not enough stability there and you're too stiff in other places. Yeah. So if you keep doing a forward bend in yoga and all these yeah. crazy twists, you're going to add more. Yeah, it never really helped me. Didn't you do a bit of yoga? I did, yeah. Um, and occasionally I'll, I'll do you know, probably do one session a year or something. But during, yeah. during that period, everyone's like, oh, you need to do yoga. And you're like, oh, that's strange. Yeah. Uh, but it never, like, I actually went to India not to do yoga, but just to explore and, and went, was doing yoga with a... Proper Indian. An Indian yogi. He was a doctor. I don't know what he was yeah, a doctor yeah. in. Anyway, doctor after, in yoga. After a, this, one of the sessions that I was doing with my wife, he's like, you need a private session with a doctor. I was like, okay. So he had identified that I had like tightness in my in my hamstrings and probably my lower back. So his remedy for that was getting me sitting on my on my bum with my legs out in front. And just reaching as hard as you can. Yeah, so he would go, you know, touch your toes. And I, I couldn't. Um, so he would just place his feet against the and soles pull your of my arms, arms, grab my arm, <laughs> bang And that's all your lower back. Bang. Like Pulling. Yeah, oh yeah, jerking me. So I'm going like this. Are you sure this is right? You know? He's <laughs> like, I feel like I know a little bit and <laughs> yeah. it just makes no this sense. This is not helping. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I give yoga a wide berth, not because I think it's going to aggravate my back because I'm actually pretty inflexible. So I find it quite challenging, which yeah. is probably a reason to do it, not to not do but it. But you know what? A... A doctor or a specialist explained this to me recently in an interview and he said if you've had a really bad back injury before some tightness is going to actually keep that injury from happening mm-hmm. again but figure out like you want to get more flexibility from the calves and like figure out how to isolate the muscle and stretch it without involving your lower back because you yeah. want stability through this section yeah. all this needs to be way more yeah. stable it's that balance of mm. and he said yoga is not personalized yeah. So like yeah. Bikram is an ancient remedy. It's 90 minutes, 27 poses, 26 done second time. You did it for a year straight mm. and incredible for certain times in your life and incredible for the mind. It was actually for me, it was for the mind. I did it in the morning. I was always like racing in the car to get there by 6 a.m. I've never always been a morning person. Now I'm more a morning person, but I'd get in there and sometimes I get to the door and it was locked and I'm like, I missed, I missed the session. The world's over. And then sometimes it was, you know, I'd get there on time, run in try to get myself back to normal state yeah. even just doing the first breathing at the start my shoulders are pumped i'm like so jacked from doing bodybuilding training and i'm like this is fucked this is not for me this is not my identity yeah. but it made me realize that i am not a bodybuilder i am not a fitness model i am not an influencer i'm not a wellness coach i'm not a personal trainer i'm not a husband like i am me and like if I feel like I need a rest, I can rest. If I feel like if I feel like I need to cry, I need to cry. If I want mm. to see a psychologist, it's not weak. Mm. If I feel like just having a break from everyone, good. If I feel like having a beer, I don't have to be the wellness master coach and saying yeah. that the beer's not good for anyone. But like, I am me, and I and we have different states and different masks and different ways to be in life. And when I fully understood that was parts of yoga, parts of letting the ego go, parts of just starting my day right. Like I love Aubrey Marcus's Own the Day. I've got my ebook, which is about structuring your day and your weeks and starting with the mind. And I've just picked all the favorite things that I've learned over the years. A little bit of yoga is good. A little bit of weight training is good. A little bit of Pilates, a little bit of walking, swimming, surfing, a little bit of sitting down chatting, a little bit of social, like putting that into a a large package which is very yeah. confusing for people who are listening to like oh wait up I need to take one home message yeah. like yeah. always be true to yourself and um, 
don't get stuck on any particular identity just because when you're 20s, you were good at this. Like so many professional athletes end up depression or suicide because they were like a, a professional football player, professional AFL or rugby or whatever. And then, or they were at the Olympics when they were young and then they had an injury or they just, they retired or they stopped getting paid because when you get old enough, you lose your position or whatever. And then they're tied to nothing. Their identity's gone. Mm. So that's, that's what I'd say is like the take home message is like, I've been through so many identities, yeah. bodybuilder, fitness model, influencer, but I am me and like I might be a father soon or I might, I'm might i going to be a husband soon if all the plans yeah, go normal. Yeah, and you know, you are you and we're just trying to discover to be, to find the best versions of ourselves and everyone around yeah, us. And it's a master plan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't, don't try and get fit and healthy by, you know, this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what you do most of the time over the longest period of time that and nothing really defines us, you know. Like, I'm, yeah, yeah I, th- I think we both sort of wrestled with that identity over, over the years but jackson that's been a real pleasure and an insight and thank you mate uh, thanks I appreciate for, it thanks for having me if you want to hear um the podcast interview that i did with scott on my channel my channel is jackson johnson podcast we did a little interview i asked some personal questions that scott probably wasn't used to <laughs> answering you can find that and uh, my instagram is at jackson jfit if you want to see shirtless photos of me and long captions about my opinions on things and you know some helpful stuff and some things that i just feel like people should know and the truth about social media and influences and just try to keep it a bit more real yeah good on you awesome well, keep doing what you're doing thank you very much scott see you mate